All right, everybody, welcome to episode 22 of the Northwest Method Express. I'm Jonathan, and we're back with Tony, and Eric is with us again. Hello, Eric. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Good, good. And it's it's funny, once we got off the last episode, Tony immediately had something that he, he wanted to talk about. It's not an apology, I don't think, but... I don't apologize. That's not but true. it was... But, but it was a pressing question that you had. It was for a pressing Eric. question. Well, because, you know, first of all, the, just to make a commitment to go to culinary school of the Selkid, this is what I want to get into, especially at a point of, of, of your life that's sort of, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I mean, it wasn't done at 18 or at 16. That's, that's, that's one transition in one's life. And then there's a transition of going into the industry, which you talked about, which we, you dove in. The, the industry the same way you dove in as a student. You went in as a, a, a pure learner. I mean, I just want to absorb as much as I can. But when we brought you on, on board as a teacher, how was that transition? Because I'm sure, I mean, for, I'm sure I, I, well, for us, it was, it was very different for, for all these chef instructors here. But for you, it's not that far um, removed. So I wonder how, how, how it was for you. It, it, was, it was difficult in one sense yet easy another because how i approached or how i look at cooking is is yes it's a craft it's it's a trade but i also look at it as a life skill and you know working with the city i, I was basically i was teaching sewing lessons which is another life skill and you know mm. you're able to tra teach you know kids from six months to you know adults to like 50 plus you learn that there's different learners throughout with you know, different methods that they absorb material. And you see that in the kitchen immediately. You can almost see all the different type of learners immediately in the kitchen as well. So being able to talk to different learners at different ages really helped me talk to those people in the, in, in the kitchen as well. What was difficult for me at times was I never felt I had the professional background to, to support some of the things I was teaching at times, even though I knew exactly what technique, what to look for, what the telltales are of, of, of properly doing things. I just in the back of my mind, I just didn't feel that I had the, the gall to, to, to teach the things that I was telling people. And I think for me, that was the biggest hurdle, but I, you know, I was able to recognize that people learn in different ways, whether it's a, you know, some kind of verbal cue or some kind of uh, physical manipulative cue, something that would make uh, that light bulb click in people's head. So was it more difficult when you were doing demos? Because the one thing that I remember, even when you were a student, and especially when, you know, you did the practicum with, with us, is that when you're in the, in the classroom, in the kitchen with the student, in the trenches, as we say, I think that's where you're as good as any of us mm -hmm. and better. You were really committed and it showed that you had coaching skills mm -hmm. you, and you had the ability to coach to the, to the human being, to, to, to the individual. But doing a demo, I could understand that that's because we put so much weight. I mean, we're being, we're being watched by a whole group and, you know, you, you, you were, you were renowned for your 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 your, your sweating <laughs> during your few demos. 
you know, if your omelet, I don't know, something, if your omelet was too loose, it's probably because too much sweat fell in it. <laughs> it was perfectly seasoned, though. It was perfectly yeah. seasoned, though. It was perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to put it. Yeah. Tastes a bit of like fish sauce, but it's good. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. I, but, I mean, but, yeah. I think, I, mean, I think, though, imposter syndrome was definitely something that, that, falls that people fall victim to when doing demos guaranteed that it happens to me on you know and it happens to anybody at any given time if they you know they they discount the fact that being a good teacher in some ways actually supersedes having done it a million times and literally you know there are there are people out there in this in this industry who do something a million times and you know they they couldn't teach their way out of a paper bag though they can do it. They just can't teach it. Well, is a chef who's not French but teaching French te uh, techniques an imposter? No, they're 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 obviously. It's not that they learn French techniques. They're they probably are very passionate about those techniques because they use them all the time to create, whether it's French yeah. or Italian or Asian or whatever. Yeah. But we wear a lot of different hats. As it, as soon as we teach, as soon as we walk in as a teacher, we have to wear a ton of different hats for the situation yeah so you know demoing i could understand that we put a lot of I, I mean today i did a demo on on an italian dish that i've done many times before but i just i i switched the recipe around just a bit and during the demo i had to stop and say okay this is not working i had to, have to, I had to take out the food processor and put the dough back in there and and, and add some water but it's okay i mean a demo is not a place to be perfect it's a place to to communicate learning and make sure people absorb what they need to absorb when they go into the station. But it's in the trenches that real learning happens. Yeah. And I think this is this I think this is the hardest part of teaching is is how do you deal with other students' emotions, ups and downs? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with somebody who screwed up their their omelet at at a midterm, right? Mm -hmm. It's very hard. And I think that's one area that I think because of that omelet experience, you know how to approach a human being not just mm -hmm. a student but a human being when they have you know a shortcoming that really hurts because when one thing about cooking when you fall short it hurts yeah. because it's 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 emotional right well and it's also it's also immediately visible right immediately you know? yes yeah and and in the classroom it's not only immediately visible to you because you know that you have done better, but it's immediately visible because there's anywhere from 10 to 23 other people around you who have done it better. Yep. But the one thing that people should never forget is there's also the immediate opportunity for, for redeeming yourself. Like again, like you fail, it's okay. You know, like it's not gonna be perfect. And that's one thing that was very difficult transitioning for to instructing was not caring as much about how perfect my demo was it was caring about me teaching the techniques and the the takeaways so mm -hmm. that the students are successful so mm -hmm. if my omelet was wrinkly and not beaten properly but 15 students had perfectly made omelets i say that's a success yeah so i think as instructor you you, you start looking at you know, success differently, but that was not something that, you know, came naturally. It, it, it takes some time. Like, yeah. you know, you're standing in front of people 
presenting anything it always becomes a bit of a, a show it just naturally becomes that way and so you want to put your best foot forward but sometimes you know what you're not going to be on your a game sometimes you're going to have a b minus or whatever but if they are the the students are still able to put a a result out there then you're you're okay you you've done your job as an instructor you know one of the things that we talk about is when you teach the same techniques like baking an omelet to the non-pro students in the evenings i think we've had this conversation many times that you're amazed by how well they perform because they don't put that added pressure on themselves so you 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 because i think you're the one who again demos yeah. the the omelet to the non-pro and i always ask you how did they, every time you do that class and I'm at home in the evening that during that class watching a, a Netflix, but the next day when I come in, I think I always ask you, how did the, 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 the class last night do on the omelets? Mm-hmm. And it's always like pretty impressive. Oh, it's, it's amazing how much people care when they're doing something for themselves or, you know, trying to enhance uh, loved ones' lives in, in that you know they're cooking for at home, and so the attention to detail to everything. I mean, Jonathan, you've been there to you know watch the demo sometimes. When you see, see their reaction of that omelet rolling in a in a mm-hmm. in a pan, they're like wow. Mm-hmm. And then when they're able to do that for themselves, they're like wow. And it's it's yeah. that's a really cool moment, and it's just I think you're right, Tony. Like the the enthusiast learner is just it's just so happy with those positive results whereas you know the professional they're just expecting perfection and yeah it's, and it's like you have to go through so much process before you get there but again i i don't think you should rest on your laurels you could do better there's something you could always do better yeah it's something that i think that as a teacher one of the you know, epiphanies that I had is when I, I realized that the home cook can learn everything that we teach to the pro and learn it just as well and just as passionately and perform it just as well. Sometimes, even, I wouldn't say even better, but without putting that added pressure on themselves because they're there just for pure learning. Not, I would say pleasure. They're there. They, they want to do well. They want to bring the skill home and have it for, for life. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I don't differentiate between pro and non-pro now, I've sort of, I don't separate them. I think that was been that's been really helpful to, for me to 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 approach the uh, the learner just as a as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, with the pro students, we have to have some conversations that we don't have with the with the not with, with the home cook. But when it comes to just learning skills, technique, food, science, it's the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I, I love about the non-professional learner is, first of all, they have, we don't have to find them a job at the end of this, right? <laughs> so that's, they have no stress in their lives coming in. So you have two groups of people in that non-professional. You have the people that are, they're coming in, they want to learn something new. They don't have any stress. And if it doesn't work, they may or may not do it again. You know, it's it, and that's okay for them. But then we have those other people who are super gung ho, and their eyes light up, especially when they look at the omelet, and they aren't even caring about the fact that they're going to eat this omelet. There's almost that magical thing about what has this, what is this egg, these eggs, what have they done in front of me? How how does this how does this whole thing work? 
-hmm. and it opens up this whole new gamut of of science and technique and chemistry and everything that they just never really knew that 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 could happen before yeah they just start they just start peeling the layers back on the onion and Mm -hmm. there's just so much to explore i mean i think one of the the most memorable enthusiast is andrew Mm -hmm. for sure and you know he started what did you say he he was taking uh, eating takeout food yeah 10 out of 14 meals a week or something like that yeah yeah for it was 15 at 15 out of 21 yeah, 15 out of 21 meals out of the week, he was ordering takeout. And then to take, you know, the basics one class and then eventually take everything. And now I bet you he's probably, it's the opposite. He's probably doing 15 days of cooking and only, or meals of cooking and only yeah. going out for the six. Oh, um, easily. And, and you know, a lot of a lot of that is his personality, too. I mean, you think about what he does for a living and he's, you know, he's a special effects designer in the, in the movie industry. And for him, so when he does a deep dive, he does a deep dive. Mm-hmm. And it just took something to motivate him to do that deep dive. And once he got into it, he just completely immersed himself in food mm-hmm. like he would when he when he's doing his his special effects stuff. So all learn is just go through a little bit of success failure and then deep dive and then finding more success right i think that's just part of the learning process and for him that probably was huge oh absolutely now i think one of the really interesting things about the deep dive though is is for you being that person who just loves new and exciting things i mean you ended up doing all kinds of different things i'm looking we we made some notes beforehand and and I mean, you you not only worked in restaurants and worked at the knife shop, but you also did a bunch of catering, you did pop-ups, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about that and how that those experiences, you know, enhanced your abilities? Uh, I, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to have worked for two very successful catering companies in, in, in Vancouver. One that you worked with at Culinary Capers. Yeah. And I mean, what I took away from I, from those places is like how to operate a professional establishment at an enormous scale, and how to even at a event of 900, how to plate 900 plates of food, make sure they're all exactly the same, coordinate all the food, all the everything. It's just amazing to see yeah. something like that, and you you don't get that experience unless you know dive into some of these companies out there like some of the hotels definitely do that but like these two catering companies they took on enormous events that gave me enough bravery you know to start taking on some smaller events on myself eventually and you know started off with a simple like eight person you know private dinner to now then like 150 wedding but you know you just you get a bit of bravery after each event you know um you, you get that little notch on the belt and you, and you want to you want to take on a little bit more not so much nowadays you know nowadays my focus is most definitely like I want to make sure like you know to be a better instructor or to deep dive into like things that you know are going to be able to add more different different things to, to the curriculum that's my focus now but you know I, at that time I just, again closed that professional gap that I just and I also did some pop-ups with like a good friend of mine and fellow you know Northwest alum Matt Murtawu. I guess he's better known as a dumpling. Does he even have a first name? Is he just Dumpling King now? I think he's just like, Dumpling King. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think he has a name, first name anymore. Just Dumpling King. But anyway, I did a bunch of pop-ups with him, and that just it gave us both a, a, a platform and 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 some much-needed bravery to just showcase us, you know, 
to to Vancouver. Uh, it's showcasing, you know, flavors that we both love and showcasing Chinatown because a lot of times we did our pop-ups, you know, right around Chinatown, but it just gave us the ability to showcase the things that we've accrued over over our culinary career thus far and just, you know, put ourselves on a Well, yeah. And you know, it's interesting because you talk about deep dives and one of the great things about doing deep dives is once you have that fundamental background behind you, then you can start to have a more educated view of doing these deep dives. And I, I, I had you send me a list of everything you've done in deep dives. But I mean, other than knives in Japan, which we've already talked about, I mean, we're looking at things like you said, butchery, sake, whiskey. I'm sensing a theme here, by the way. Fried chicken, you know, tons of these things. So, so you know, for you, what constitutes a deep dive? How do you go about doing this? I think it starts with me simply enjoying it. Uh, whiskey and sake and coffee like are, are, are things that I've always enjoyed. But I didn't know why mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. But, you know, when you do a, a whiskey tasting in, in Scotland on the Royal Mile and, you know, you're finally introduced to the different regions of Scotch, and then the biggest epiphany there was being told, hey, there's no right way to drink scotch. You can drink the right way is the way that you enjoy it was mm -hmm. a huge epiphany. And that allowed me to open the door to like so many more whiskeys. And then the, mm -hmm. joining a whiskey club the, during the pandemic allowed me to taste whiskeys from anywhere between $40 to $1,000 a bottle, which I normally would never do on the regular because uh, let's face it, I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of scotch, <laughs> but you know, like you learn that there is quality all throughout the spectrum. And just because something's got a heavy price tag on it doesn't mean that it's very good. Jonathan, you and I have discussed, like there's mm -hmm. this one brand of uh, whiskey out there that's, that's expensive as heck. It's I think between 400 to $600 a bottle, Yeah. but it tastes like, you know, nothing jet fuel. Coke. Jet, Jet fuel, fuel. smoke, <laughs> and I like smoky scotch and whiskeys, yeah. but like this was like someone shoved a a, a corn cob or like a smoking pipe up my nose, and like yeah. I'm just inhaling it nonstop. It was just not palatable, and but yeah. you know I've tasted something as cheap as thirty nine dollars, a nice bottle Evan Williams seventeen eighty three. That's just absolutely sublime. Like yeah. I would, that's like my everyday drinker because of like how like the price point and and the flavor that you get out of it. So I think it just starts with like enjoying, and then how how to enjoy that product at home at its best so you know diving into something like coffee you know i, I just coffee some that that drink that we take for granted all the time we just like think it perks us up but then you go and you got to thank seattle and starbucks for this but like you know seattle roasting game and the amount of you know local neighborhood coffee shops are it was amazing and the fact that it's just not all roasted to one darkness, you know, different beans from different parts of the world are going to give you different flavors, how terroir, you know, is going to change the coffee flavor, how over roasting versus under roasting something's going to give you a different flavor and how something that it's supposed to be just coffee. Why do you taste, you know, citrus? Why do you taste cherry? Why do you taste? Sometimes I can't even pinpoint the flavor. I almost just get like a sense of a color in terms of like, you know, like I imagine sometimes like when I'm drinking a cup of coffee and like, oh, if, if Ruby had a, a flavor, this would be the flavor of Ruby. Like this would be like this beautiful flavor, if that makes any sense. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's and then finding out the best way to 
you know, utilize that at home because, you know, there's there's just so many ways of, of extracting coffee. So, and what's best for you is, is going to be different for other people. So, so let, let, let me get this straight. If I go to Scotland and yeah. I drink a bottle of scotch straight, I, I drink from the bottle, straight from the bottle. I'm not going to offend anybody from Scotland. No, I think you because that's the way I drink my scotch. The only reason I don't do it in front of a Scot is I'm afraid of being beaten by a Scot because I think, I think they they can beat the crap out of me. But yeah, so that that's that's cool. That's cool in Scotland. Yeah, I that's okay. that's what they told me. That's what they told me. And honestly, even straight like, out of the bottle, and I can yeah. hand it to somebody else. I mean, that's the way you enjoy it. That is the right way for you. It's not. I there's can't no wait. wrong way. Now I have a reason to go to Scotland. <laughs> and when he doesn't come it's back, weather, we find out that Eric it's, lied. It's not, it's, it's, I like beach weather. It's not my kind of weather. But <laughs> if you can drink well, scotch out of a bottle, that's that's cool. Yeah. Well, you um, know what? There are beaches. It's just, you know, they're surrounded by, you know, green sides and, you know, fairways yeah. and stuff. There's lots of beaches. <laughs> very windy. ice. Very windy. Oh, my goodness. Very windy. Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, is that this is actually a good place, I think, for us to end this episode because it's a it's a good way to uh, plug something that Eric has been uh, working on in the background. And as you can probably see, he is very knowledgeable about coffee. And we're actually he is working on a one of our online courses. He's going to do a short course on coffee. So that's definitely something that everybody should keep an eye out for. But I think with that, Eric, we're going to call it a day. I, I think sooner rather than later, I think you've justified coming back. So you've, you've earned your stripes. Thank you for, for that. Thank you very much. Like I said, I, I, I put my, as much pressure on myself on this uh, podcast <laughs> as I do on my omelet demo. So I, I didn't disappoint. And I'm going to work on a scotch drinking short course. It's going to last about three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really depends on how big that, that, that chug out of the bottle is, right? I mean, if it's a little baby one, it might be longer. It's a three-second chug. I, I, I think it's a two-second chug. It's, okay, a, it's a two-second, but it's a three-second video. Uh, got you. <laughs> And on and on that note, I think we're actually going to call it a day. Thanks again, everybody, for uh, listening to episode 22 of the Northwest Method Express. I'm Jonathan, and I was with Eric and Tony, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. There's a couple of websites you can check out to find out a little bit more about us. If you're interested in the school, you can go to nwcav.com. Or if you're interested in our online courses, you can check out the northwestmethod.com. See you next time.